Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello and welcome back to Enrich Menopause. I've got some questions for you. When you were in your 20s, like when you were in college or when you first got married, were you getting a lot of UTIs, a lot of bladder infections, that what we call honeymoon cystitis, whether or not it has anything to do with your honeymoon? And then after a while, either with some treatment or just with time or just with changes over time, the bladder infections started to go away and they weren't really an issue anymore, or maybe they would come kind of very few and far between. But now suddenly they're back, even if you're not having sex four times a day like you were in college or whatever that may have been at the time. And you're wondering, what's up? What's going on? Why am I suddenly getting these UTIs again? Well, this is actually really common in perimenopause and menopause. And the first thing to do is to figure out if it is actually an infection you're getting or not. I know for many people, when they start to get a bladder infection, especially in these last few years during the pandemic, but even other times with our busy lives, we tend to want to just call in and get a prescription, whether we do a telemedicine through our insurance or just call our doctor and have some antibiotics sent in. And honestly, that's fine if you're still among that time of like maybe a bladder infection happens once every few years or very infrequently. But if you're starting to notice back-to-back bladder infections, if you've had a couple in the last six months, if you've had three in the last year or more than that, then I really recommend that you make sure that you're seeing someone and being evaluated with a culture and not just having the antibiotics called in. The culture is going to do a few things for us. It's going to help us to determine whether or not it's actually an infection you have or if it's what we call a non-infectious cystitis, meaning that you can have all of the symptoms of a UTI, but it's not actually coming from an infection. And that's important because they're going to be treated very differently. The other thing that it's going to do, of course, is tell us how you can be treated appropriately. So the culture will tell us not only what bacteria it is, but what antibiotics that bacteria is sensitive to. So if you've ever had the experience where you get a UTI, you get some antibiotics called in, and it makes you feel a little bit better. Maybe you get back to 100%, maybe not. But within a few weeks, you're already back to having those UTI symptoms. Most likely in that case, you were not getting the right antibiotics. There may have been some resistant bacteria in your bladder that, you know, maybe the antibiotics treated most of the bacteria, but then those resistant bacteria kind of grew back and multiplied and you're right back in the same place with the UTI. So the cold is going to help us to tell us, A, is it a bladder infection? And B, what are the right antibiotics? Now, a urine culture isn't the only thing that I would use to evaluate whether or not infection is causing your symptoms, because there can be some other types of infections.
infections, particularly I think of atypical bacteria like mycoplasma and urea plasma, which can live in the urethra and can cause very similar symptoms to a UTI, but they wouldn't show up on a regular culture. You have to be tested for these specifically. And this may be a reason why somebody feels like they have an infection, but the culture is coming back negative. The other reason would be vaginal infections. So common vaginal infections like bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections can give symptoms similar to a bladder infection. So can sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia or gonorrhea or even a herpes infection or outbreak can cause symptoms similar to a UTI. So being evaluated for all of those types of infections so that you can get the right diagnosis and get the right treatment is really important. Now, if it is recurrent infections, there are a lot of different strategies that we can do to start to treat those infections and prevent them from coming back. Like I said, it is really common for women to start getting these infections again around perimenopause and menopause, and that's because of the changes in estrogen that are occurring at that time. If you want to listen back to my episode about what's going on with the vagina, this is that genitourinary syndrome of menopause that I was talking about then. So less estrogen coming from the ovaries to the tissues around the urethra and the bladder and the vagina, that can cause, yes, some dryness and discomfort with sex, but it can also make you more prone to both urinary tract and vaginal infections. So oftentimes adding back a little estrogen, usually in an estrogen cream or a suppository or a ring, may be all you need to actually prevent the bladder infections. Now, of course, we've talked about how vaginal estrogens are different than systemic estrogens and generally considered to be very safe for almost everyone. But if vaginal estrogens are not for you, of course, there's some over-the-counter moisturizers that you can use instead. Things like coconut oil and vitamin E and Reverie and Replens or vaginal laser treatments or oral medications like Osfina. All of these can be helpful at basically replacing the moisture and the changes that happen because of estrogen um, decrease in the tissues around the urethra and the bladder and the vagina. And again, if you want more information on that, you can go back to my episode on what's happening to the vagina and we'll go over a lot of those in a little bit more detail. Now that helps to change the tissue around the urethra and the bladder and the vagina, which helps to prevent the bacteria from taking hold in the first place and from causing an infection. But we also want to do some things to kind of flush out the system from the inside out. So basically kind of helping to clear the kidneys and the ureters and the bladder and the urethra. And of course, there are strategies to help do this behaviorally. Drinking lots of water so that you're flushing the system a little bit more can help. Making sure that you're peeing after sex or at other times when there's concern about um, bacteria being present, like maybe after a big workout. Those things can help, but there's also a lot of different over-the-counter products that are available, some that have different claims than other, but there's definitely some that can be helpful. This is where I think of things like cranberry tablets. Now, I'm not talking about drinking cranberry juice. You're never going to be able to drink enough cranberry juice to make a difference. So definitely give yourself diabetes before you drink enough cranberry juice to make a difference. But the more concentrated cranberry tablets can help. Vitamin C can also help by making the urine a little bit more acidic, which bacteria don't like. And then 
probiotics can be helpful both in preventing bladder infections and in preventing vaginal infections. And there's a product called D-Manos, which I really like a lot. Basically, it's a sugar molecule, but it's one that kind of forms a precipitate in the urine that bacteria really doesn't like. And I like that one because it's very helpful to soothe the bladder as well as helping to prevent infections. And then there are a lot of combination products out there. So you can find things like a cranberry tablet with vitamin C or cranberry and D-mannose together. One of my favorites is a combo product called Eucora, which kind of has all of the above. It's got the cranberry and it's got the vitamin C and it's got the D-mannose and it's got the probiotics along with a few other things. Now, these products are meant to be taken as prevention for UTIs. So it's not something where you wait until you have the symptoms of a UTI and then you start taking them. They're not really going to treat the UTI. This is something that's meant to be taken every day on a regular basis to prevent those infections from coming back, particularly in somebody who's having very frequent infections. And oftentimes I'll do this in conjunction with something like a vaginal estrogen. And for many women who are starting to get UTIs again in perimenopause and postmenopause, that combination alone is often enough. Now, for some women, it's not quite enough. And then we go on to some other medications, something like methanamine, which is basically not an antibiotic, but I think of it kind of more like an antiseptic. So think of it like you're washing your hands with an antibacterial soap, but instead we're kind of like washing out the urinary tract. So I do like that if the -the over-the-counter options and the vaginal estrogens aren't working enough for somebody, we might add that in. It's a twice a day prescription medication that's very well tolerated by most women. But as with anything else, some people can have some side effects. So talk with your doctor about whether that's a good option for you. And then of course, there's antibiotics, which is the more familiar strategy for most women. And this is typically my last choice. Now, of course, if you have an infection, if you're suffering, then yes, by all means, please take the antibiotics. Let's clear that infection. But in terms of prevention, the antibiotics are are actually my last choice because of course they can give you side effects, particularly can offset your normal gut microbiome, which can lead to things like diarrhea and bowel dysfunction. They can also make you more prone to yeast infections by sort of killing off the normal bacteria that live in the vagina. And then you can develop resistance to those antibiotics over time, which can mean when you do have an infection, that's not going to work for you anymore and you have to use something different. So anti Antibiotics are my last choice. Now, that's not to say that I never use them. And somebody who's really having persistent UTIs and not getting relief from these other options, we may use antibiotics either as a one-time dose just when somebody has sex, if they're typically getting their UTIs with sex, or sometimes as a daily, everyday preventative low dose of antibiotics to keep those infections at bay. Now, most of the time when somebody's having those recurrent bladder infections in perimenopause and menopause, it is because of the changes in estrogen that really make them more prone to infections. But sometimes there can be other things going on, things like kidney stones or a mass in the bladder. So if you're having recurrent infections and the -the over-the-counter options and the estrogens haven't been enough for you, then it is important to get evaluated either by a gynecologist who's comfortable with this evaluation or by 
by a urologist with both imaging of the kidneys, which can be done in either an ultrasound or a CAT scan. I usually recommend starting with an ultrasound because there's no radiation there and only doing the CAT scan if we're really having trouble seeing or if there's an abnormality or concern for a specific type of stone. And then also a procedure called a cystoscopy, where we look inside the bladder, we put some fluid into the bladder, usually just sterile water, and look inside the bladder with a camera. Oftentimes, this can be done in the office. Occasionally, we do it in the operating room under anesthesia, just depending on somebody's level of comfort. But I do find most people tolerate it very well in the office if we just put a little lidocaine jelly in the urethra to make it less uncomfortable. And it's a pretty quick procedure to just look around and make sure that there's nothing concerning in the bladder. All the things we've talked about so far are things that we want to do for somebody who's having recurrent infections. But what if you took my advice at the beginning and you thought you were getting recurrent infections, but all of the cultures are negative and you still feel like you have a UTI? Well, this is when we start to look at the non-infectious causes of the UTIs. And particularly, this may also be that genitourinary syndrome of menopause or that lack of estrogen in the tissue. As the estrogen decreases, it can give more frequency and urgency and inability to empty your bladder completely and discomfort or burning when you pee. So sometimes adding back that vaginal estrogen or other moisturizers like we discussed may be all that you need to get those symptoms at bay. But of course, we want to look for other things if that's not enough or if it's not working. Definitely if there's persistent symptoms despite treatment and especially if there's a significant amount of blood in the bladder, we want to do that same cystoscopy procedure to look inside the bladder and make sure there's no mass that's concerning for a cancer of the bladder. Now, granted, this is a more rare cause of these symptoms and having recurrent infections or having just symptoms based on the lack of estrogen is much more common, but it's something that we want to rule out, especially if there's significant blood in the urine. Sometimes as we get older, our bladders just get a little bit more sensitive particularly to things in the diet, things like caffeine and carbonation and citrus and tomatoes and spicy food. So sometimes you may just want to do a little bit of experimentation with your diet, particularly, again, drinking more water can help to make the urine a little bit more dilute so it's not as irritating to the bladder. But then trying something like a low oxalate diet, which you can find information about online or on our um, website at my practice. And it talks about a lot of these different things that can irritate the bladder. And you can look through there, see what you're doing commonly and try to cut back or at least eliminate some of those things from the diet and see if it makes a big difference in your bladder. Now, if you're finding that you are sensitive to certain foods and you've eliminated those for the most part, that's great. If you happen to be knowing that you're going to be celebrating or cheating on that sort of elimination diet, there are different medications out there like pre-leaf you can take beforehand or if you, you know, weren't anticipating it, but did something that caused some irritation in the bladder, then you can use some of those bladder analgesics, things like Azo or Peridium or Urabel or Eurogesic Blue, the things that can help when you have a urinary tract infection to help you to feel better while you're waiting for the antibiotics to take shape, but also can help to calm or soothe the bladder when you have a non-infectious cystitis as well. 
sometimes the issue is not really in the bladder itself, but in the muscles surrounding the bladder, what we call the pelvic floor. And if you think this might be your issue, you may want to look back on the episode I did with Dr. Rivka Friedman talking about the pelvic floor and pelvic floor physical therapy. But basically, the muscles of the pelvic floor, which kind of like sit like a bowl in the pelvis and surround the bladder and the vagina and the rectum, they can get spasmed and dysfunctional for lots of different reasons, for pain or for having had a bunch of recurrent infections, for chronic constipation, for many different issues, those muscles can become spasmed and dysfunctional. And that can also cause pain when you're filling or emptying your bladder. It can cause more of that frequency and urgency and trouble holding your bladder and trouble emptying your bladder. So having your pelvic floor evaluated is going to be important too in that non-infectious cystitis workup. The last thing I consider in somebody who's having a non-infectious cystitis, so those UTI symptoms where the cultures are all negative, is something called interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome is the other name for it. And basically this is more of like an inflammatory type condition of the bladder. This is something that's a diagnosis of exclusion, which means basically we have to rule out all of the other things that I've talked about to say that someone has interstitial cystitis. For those who get it, the symptoms can vary a little bit, but think about things like pain with urinating, frequency, urgency, trouble emptying the bladder completely. And this often comes in flares. So it can come and go just like a UTI might. But if the cultures are all negative, if we've ruled out the other things, if you're taking vaginal estrogen and you're still having symptoms, then interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome might be the cause. Now, to evaluate this, there are several things that we can do. Mostly it's getting a good history and getting the cultures and exam and potentially cystoscopy to rule out the other factors that we're looking at. There are some ways that we can get some features like doing that same cystoscopy, but with something called hydrodistension, where we sort of overinflate the bladder, typically in the operating room, because that's not a very comfortable thing to do while you're awake in the office. That can give us certain features that suggest interstitial cystitis, but really it's based on the symptoms symptoms and ruling out the other causes. Once you've done that, the first line of treatment is very similar to the other kind of forms of non-infectious cystitis. So making dietary modifications, particularly that low oxalate diet that I talked about previously, sometimes doing that and just having the bladder analgesics like the Azo or the Urabel or the Urogesic Blue or Peridium, having those available when you need to, sometimes that and diet alone is enough. For other women, it may take something like pelvic floor physical therapy, which can be very helpful in interstitial cystitis, or it can start to take other medications that you take on a regular basis. Typically, I think of these medications in a few different classes. I think of neurologic type medications like amitriptyline or gabapentin or nortriptyline. I think about antihistamines, things like hydroxyzine or Singulair. And I think about Almiron, which is the only medication that's designed specifically for interstitial cystitis 
this, but it does tend to have a lot of side effects, both in the short and the long term. So it's not usually my first go-to choice. What I choose really depends on that individual person. If there's somebody who has more of an allergic response to things in general, then I may start with an antihistamine. If they've got other sort of neurologic forms of pain, then I may do more of the neurologic pain medications. And then sometimes we'll do like an overactive bladder medication. If it's more the frequency and urgency that's the issue and not so much the pain. We also can inject medications directly into the bladder and that same cystoscopy with hydrodistension that I had mentioned before that can help a little bit in diagnosis can also help as treatment in the short term, but long short term, like three to six months mark. All of this is to say that there are several different strategies out there and What you think is a UTI may not always be a UTI. So even if you know what the symptoms feel like, even if you've had UTIs in the past, if they're starting to come back and they're coming back on a more regular basis, then please be evaluated by either a urogynecologist or a minimally invasive gynecologist or a urologist who can do a little bit more close evaluation and get to the bottom of why you're continuing to have these symptoms over and over. I hope this has been helpful for you. Please share it with a friend. This is one of those things that is all too common, unfortunately, and something that not enough people talk about or know what to do about. But this episode should give you some strategies to get started. And then if that's not enough, of course, seeking the help that you need can be great too. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.